right, everybody's good. Praise God. A couple things really quickly. One, man, just think about 30,000 pounds of food for free that we're going to be able to give away in the community. That's just, wow, that's just so cool. God is so good. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, VBS, we're in VBS on Sundays in July. We have VBS here at uh, both, actually both campuses. And so July the 10th, the first week, and the name of it's Making Waves or kind of Making a Difference. And uh, I, they were downstairs in Sayla, our granddaughter. She's our only granddaughter. We have five grandchildren, all exceptional, just unbelievable. Did she tell, she told, uh, she told Charity, okay. And then you, uh, you pulled rank. So Sayla wanted to have a lemonade stand because she found out of uh, need in Nicaragua. We have missionaries from Nicaragua that are in our church, Donna and Amanda. And we, we like to say uh, that we help with 10,000 meals a month in Haiti. They do 15,000 meals a day in Nicaragua. And they've been there for years. And these guys are just some of the most wonderful people you're ever going to meet. Well, the roof blew off their orphanage. And so uh, Sayla asked Charity if she could have a lemonade stand. And so uh, I don't know how the whole story goes. A lot of times I'm the last to find out. I just, you know, do what I do. And uh, so it, at some point in time, it, it, it shifted to the lemonade stand was going to be at church. And so, so that we could help. So last week, we had a lemonade stand, and the little kids all had cool aprons on, and they were, like, really, like, progressive salespeople. Like, they were, you need to buy a cup of lemonade. And I think, I felt like we did our part. We, we asked for a suggested offering or whatever, and, and, uh, but they, like, they were out there, and they were like, you need to get your lemonade, but you better pay first, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I thought, you know, I thought that was really good. Well, I, I want to let you know that I feel like the lemonade stand was a success. We have a check here for $4,350 for, come on up here, Amanda, and get that. That is just incredible. And thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Donna. And if you want to continue to give, you just put Nicaragua on your check. We'll make sure that every, we support these guys monthly. We'll make sure that that gets given to them and, and uh, pray for them, will you? The, the, the roof's going to cost about $18,000. And so other churches are hoping to get involved as well. And we just, uh, we love these guys, appreciate them, all that they stand for and do, and just want to be able to bless them and continue to bless them. So if you want to continue to give or you have, or you missed last week, then you you can just give. We suggested $100 a cup for lemonade, the most expensive lemonade you're ever going to buy. Uh, but it was good. And there was little like lemon tarts that Nancy made. It was just, it was a good day. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we appreciate, appreciate you too. Can you give yourself so, uh, just a big hand for, uh, that, that's good stuff, right? Also, we have a, a team that meets every Wednesday, every other Wednesday here at 6.30 to pray, and we have some prayer cards. So uh, what we're going to ask them to do is pray over the prayer cards. So if you have any needs, there's cards, uh, I think, out in the lobby. There might be some in the seats, but they say prayer on them. Just write your needs on there. Uh, leave them at the VIP desk, and we'll make sure that they pray over them on, uh, on when, every other Wednesday when they're in here praying. Uh, we want to be uh, strategic prayer warriors. We want to pray and ask for God to do 
many special things, and that would be one of them. So if you need a healing, a blessing, a decision, clarity, whatever, write out a prayer card, leave it at the desk, and we'll make sure that our team uh, prays over it. And then uh, the block parties, again, just uh, please be mindful, prayerful if the times don't work for you, but if if they do work for you, please come on out. Uh, One of the biggest blessings, when I'm feeling kind of down and out, I go knock on doors and pray for people. And it's just like the Lord refreshes me. And just so one of the best things we can do is serve the community. And if you can do that with us, that would be great. So, all right, we're in Psalms and we're praying the summer of Psalms. We're praying. And so this week we're going to be in Psalms 84. I personally love Psalms 84. And so it's, it's a one that is really dear to me. It's a really cool story. It's uh, David writes Psalm 84 when he comes back from bringing the Ark of the Covenant. So to back up the story just a little bit, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant under King Saul. Uh, Saul was kind of wayward with it, didn't care, didn't understand uh, the power of the presence of God. And that sometimes can be the church world. We don't understand the power of the presence of God. And then the presence of God, Janie and I read in our uh, devotion yesterday, is the, is the fullness of joy. And so if you feel down and out and you can't serve, get in God's presence. God's presence just covers it all. But God's, the Ark of the Covenant was with the Philistines and he wouldn't move for them because they were a godless society. And so uh, there again, if someone that you know doesn't know God, uh, God's not necessarily going to move for them. He'll move uh, through you maybe for them or he'll move for you. And so as a witness or testimony for them, but God won't move in a godless society. That's why the Bible says when there's a, uh, an un- unrighteous ruler, the people mourn. When there's a righteous ruler, the people rejoice, okay? So the Philistines were a godless society. They worshiped idols, and Saul allowed them to take the Ark of the Covenant because he wasn't living for God at the time. David becomes king, and while, when he becomes king, he realizes there's something missing. And if there's something missing in your life, you need to make sure that you that you get back into the presence of God, get back into church, get back into prayer, get back into worship, get back into your word, just search for God's presence. He's there, but he likes to be found. He kind of plays hide and seek with us sometimes. So uh, that, that being said, David realizes, hey, the Ark of the Covenant's down there with the Philistines. We need to go back and get it. So he gets some men to go get the Ark. And when he's getting the Ark, uh, the Ark... W- w- was in a, is in a, a kind of a larger box, kind of a, a a holy place, and there's two long poles that four men would carry the ark. Okay, that you couldn't touch the ark because if you did, you would die. This was a rule of God. So it was just God protecting His presence so much. Okay, when they go get it. Uh, one man stumbles, and Uzzah, one of David's friends, mighty man, he reaches up and touches the ark, and he dies instantly. Well, David gets mad at God. And sometimes in our life, something happens to us, and we get mad at God. It's like, you know, God, you, you took my loved one home. You didn't heal me, or I'm, I'm with this situation, or I got laid off a job, or a relationship's broken, or all these things in our life, and all of a sudden, we kind of get mad at God, or we get offended by God, or we get hurt by God, or what God says in his word. No, I don't have to do that. I'm my own person. And all those are tricks of the enemy, okay? So we're going to pick up now in 2 Samuel, the uh, 
uh, sixth chapter. We're going to read 12 through 15 because when David gets mad at, at God, he parks the ark at Obed-Edom's house, all right? And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and said all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps or 18 feet, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. Now, they did this for seven miles. Every 18 feet, they sacrificed an ox or a fatted animal, a goat, a lamb, a calf, something of that nature. This is how important God's presence was for David. There's a, a, write these two words down if you're taking notes, divine shift. There's a divine shift that's taking place with David that I believe is taking place in the church world today, that's taking place in America, that's taking place around the world. In churches that are hungry for God, there's a divine shift taking place. And when those who are in David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. In other words, they're blowing the shofar. There's, it's kind of like we do praise and worship on a Sunday morning. It's the killer praise and worship today. We're going to end with a song, a throwback song. It's old. You're going to love it. It's got like, so just, it's, it's like, man, it's like, oh, this is so good. And I just want to stay in God's presence. This is where David was at, okay? So, but David encounters a divine shift. And, and I want to walk you through a divine shift today. So the first thing David encounters was obedience, all right? He had to understand that while he was getting mad at God, hurt by God, offended by God, it was all on him. He just needed to be obedient to God. And that's the first part of a good divine shift that will happen in our life is just obedience. Like, you don't have to be real theological. You don't have to really know the scriptures real well. It's good. You, I mean, you need to grow, but if you're just going to do anything in life, just walk in obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you walk in obedience of Christ, when you walk in obedience of who God is in our life, there's a divine shift that takes place. David was mad at God. David was hurt by God. David, one of David's guys died. Uzzah died. All he was trying to do was steady the ark, and God killed him right there. It was a done deal. And people will say, well, well that's just a mean God. I'm not going to serve a mean God. That's Old Testament. When we go to New Testament, we understand God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, his love, his joy, his peace. You need to have a divine shift of God is not wearing a black robe and a gavel going to strike you dead when you do something wrong, that's legalism and religious tradition. God is full of mercy and grace because his son paid that price for you. Now, doesn't give us a freedom just to run around and sin and do whatever we want. We need to obey God and his scriptures. David realizes that when the godless generation, the Philistines had the ark, nothing would happen. But when the ark was parked at Obed-Edom's house, he was being blessed. He was being blessed coming in and going out. He was just, all kind of things were being blessed. And David said, we need to go get the ark. So David gets 30,000 men to go get the ark. And every 18 feet, every six steps, they're worshiping God and praising God. Why? Because the presence of God will change every situation in your life. When you morph into the presence of God, like when you get into his presence, you can't get that presence out of you. 
If there's something special about being in that anointing, there's something special about being in that, that surrounding where God just opens the heavens and the presence come down. David uh, took the ark back because it was rightfully his and needed to go back to Jerusalem. He takes it back from Obed-Edom, but Obed-Edom doesn't leave the presence of God. In 2 Chronicles, the Bible tells us that whenever David or the king asks for anything, like he's, he's having a block party and Obed-Edom shows up. All right? So the Bible says that he needed a, a choir leader. Obed-Edom raised his hand. The Bible said that he needed a musician. Obed-Edom raised his hand. The Bible said he needed a choir member. And Obed-Edom raised his hand. The Bible said that he needed a doorkeeper. And Obed-Edom raised his hand. The Bible said that he needed a bathroom cleaner, a porter. And Obed-Edom raised his hand. Why? Because Obed-Edom didn't care what he did as long as he could get into the presence of God. See, sometimes in the, the church world today, we have to make it all about us. We all have to make it all about what we want or what we're scheduled to do or, well, if I can't be seen or if I can't be, have it my way, if I can't do this. And God just says, if you just get in my presence, I'll work everything out. The divine shift that starts with everything in Christ is just obedience. Laying ourself down, dying out to self, walking in the presence of God, walking in the obedience of God, walking in the obedient love of God. And then there's a shift that takes place. And it's divine in nature because now we start to obey what God has for us, what God wants to do in our life. When we look at the obedience of God, we look at the obedience of what he wants and what he requires, it's nothing that Jesus wasn't already ready to walk through. Jesus withstood temptation. Jesus withstood uh, the, 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 the tricks and the wiles of the enemy. Jesus uh, withstood pain and suffering and brokenness on the cross. Jesus withstood all those things, and he did it so that he could show us, one, his love, but two, that we could do it through obedience as well. And so if you're here today and you've ever been mad at God or if you've ever been angry with God, you've ever been hurt by God, you've ever been offended by God, I would say ask for forgiveness from God. And if you have to, although it sounds kind of weird, forgive God. See, it's okay if something happens in your life and you need to process it. That's not necessarily being mad at God. Like, how come God didn't answer my prayer? How come God didn't hear me? Or why, why did this happen to me, God? And you process this thing, but you still go back into obedience. That's a different scenario. It's if you get mad at God and you stay mad at God, there's an issue there. And this is what David did for three months. He was mad at God until finally someone told him and he realized, wait a second, there's a divine shift getting ready to take place. If I want to be blessed, I need to start doing what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. In other words, we can't show God, all right? We need God to show us. And when God shows us, it becomes a, a beautiful, miraculous thing of obedience that we walk through. Okay, let's read Psalms 84, 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is David bringing back the ark where he's saying, where he was mad at God three weeks ago or three months ago. Now he's walking in divine obedience saying, okay, God, I'm here. I am yours. I am, I'm going to count it a blessing when I walk into your courts. I'm going to pray, count it a blessing when I walk into the presence of God. You and I, we need to practice the presence of God. 
We need to practice getting in God's presence. It's, it should be easy for worship. It should be easy for his word. But sometimes the, the cares of this life get on us. Sometimes we're sitting in a church service like today, and we're worried about things. We're bothered about things. What's going to happen? Where am I going to eat lunch? Is the roast going to burn? Am I going to have a job tomorrow? Whatever the case may be, they could be little, they could be big, they could be tall, they could be small. We need to know that when God's people are together, Christ is here with us in the presence of God is here. When the presence of God is here, the fullness of joy is here, but also healing, miracles, deliverance, salvation, all those things take place, okay? The next thing divine shift in is, you need to write this down, you're a new creature. I'm a new creature. I'm newly created in Christ Jesus. I am a new creature in Christ. Let's read Psalms 84, 3 and 4. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. Those, those new babes, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. We have a patio out uh, back our house and a couple little chairs and a stand there. And Janie's got a vase on it with uh, some ivy growing out of it. And ivy's a good thing to grow. If you don't have a green thumb, it just doesn't die. And I don't have a green thumb and the ivy just grows. And over the winter, early spring, a little, I thought it was a female cardinal, but it's not. Like a, almost like a red wren or something, right? Gr built a little nest in there. And uh, looked in there one day, and there was like four eggs in the nest, and, and uh, the bird flew out, almost hit me in the head, because I didn't, I didn't know it, but there was some, something moving around in there. And so then we protected that little ivy. We protected, and the kids would come over, and Jenny would take the little grandbabies over and look at the little birds. And then after a while, they hatched, and then they, they stood there. They, they laid there just with their mouth open the whole time. It was like they're waiting for mom to come bring them, and mom took care of them. They were newly created. They were new creatures, all right? This is how it is with a born-again experience or become a, a Christ follower as we become a new creature. There's a couple words that we want to talk about for a moment. One is chronos and one is kairos. If you're taking notes, chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, chronos. It's short for chronology, all right, or chronological order. And kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, that's a, a moment. That's a, that's a window of opportunity. That's when, that's when uh, opportunity inter interrupts a chronology. Chronology would be like one, two, three, four, five, six, just goes on and on and on. Our little grandson Judah, to him, five is adulthood. Because he was saying uh, he was going to be uh, uh, three. Uh, that was his birthday just a, a month ago. I'm going to be three. And then how old are you going to be? He said, I'm going to be four. I said, then how old are you going to be? I'm going to be five like you, Poppy. Well, I, there's days I wish I was five, right? Uh, so five to him is adulthood because his older sister is five and she is the adult in their relationship. And, and, uh, and so it's a cute, it's a cute little thing. Uh, but we look at chronology or we look at months, January, February, March, April, May. We look at seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall. It's a chronological order. There's an order there. And, but then what happens when we uh, submit ourselves through obedience to God, there's a divine shift that takes place, and he, he provides or creates a kairos moment. It's like a five-year-old girl saying, let's have a lemonade stand. All her five-year-old friends and their parents jump on board. The church backs it, and then a mission field in Nicaragua is blessed because of one person saying, hey, let's, let's do something. It becomes kairos. 
It becomes a, a moment, a window of opportunity. God will work for you in that realm because you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. So we have to look at it this way. In the earth's format or the world's after the fall, we, we became so we, we became subject to uh, time and age. So time is of God, and God created time, but he's not bound by time. So we sometimes worry about, well, what's going to happen when I get to this age, or what's going to happen when I get to this age? God's not worried about that. And we set uh, success or boundaries on given time frames. Well, if I'm not doing this by the time I'm that, or if I'm not doing this by this season, or if we don't get there by here, then we're going to be in trouble, that's time. That's a trick of the enemy, all right? Because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Say amen. So if you're a Christ follower, you are a new creature. And I'll I'll get to that in just a second. But sin, the fall, brought on age. And so before then, Adam and Eve, I believe, did not age. They were just, they were who they were. Because you don't read about age at all until after the fall. Then Adam lived to 934 years. Or then, you know, Seth lived so long. And then Joshua lived so long. Moses lived so long. That's marked by age. Age is marked by the fall. And so uh, someone in, in the world today that maybe lives a hard life. Maybe they're, uh, you know, maybe they're, they look a lot older than they are because they've lived a life that's just been maybe really worldly or they, man, that life has just really done them bad. It's not always life. Sometimes it's just sin because sin, write this down, sin will age you. If you continue to dabble in sin, where Christ has already freed you, sin will then age you. And it becomes this, this whole thing. Now, we, we're, we age in life. That's part of it. But there's a, there's a divine shift here in being newly created. We look at things from new to old, all right? So we look at maybe a newborn baby, all right? There's a cute little baby that had a little white bow, and I was talking to the baby, and, and uh, the baby's all cute. And, and, you know, babies, when they're born, you hope for the time where they start to sleep through the night. And then babies, you hope when they, they can start, you know, uh, eating uh, regular food so you don't have to buy the formula and buy the special food. And babies, you hope then uh, they, they start to crawl. And then you hope they, you know, they start, to, they start to walk. Oh, look at the first steps. They're moving from new to old to where you want them to sleep through the night and stop crying to, to walking and talking and then eventually to sitting down and shutting up. This is the process of aging, all right? This is the process of, of newness. When we, when we leave church on Sundays, our granddaughter rides with us, and, and Sayla will talk from the moment we leave the parking lot. And she reminds us that seatbelts seat belts have to be on in the parking lot. Nope, see, poppy seatbelt on. Seatbelt on. She's like the seatbelt police, which I appreciate, and I always wear my seatbelt. And we hit the street, and then, you know, she talks uh, the 11 miles to our residence and nonstop. And I love it. I love, uh, I love talking uh, to Sayla. And Grammy loves talking to Sayla. And she tells us all about uh, Sunday school and vacation Bible school and uh, their week if they went out of town or they did something special. And, oh, no, we didn't really do much this week. But, but, but. And then she'll, she'll go on to talk about her schedule in case Grammy wants to pick her up one day this week. Well, I don't have swimming lessons on Wednesday, Grammy. I'm free this week. And how, what five-year-old says they're free? 
okay? So she, she's processing, she's progressing, and, and, but at some point in time, then we look at ourselves and we think, well, I'm kind of old. Maybe I'm too old for that. That's worldly fall stuff. Newness in Christ, Jesus, God moves us from old to new. Where the world moves us from new to old, okay, you buy a car and maybe you make a, you know, payments for 48 months or 60 months or, God forbid, 72 months. And by the time you pay that car off, if you make it that far, that car is old to you. It's because it's familiar, or maybe a house. And the good Lord knows, Jenny and I have lived in a lot of houses, but, but the house, you know, uh, it's not our home, but there's a house. And that house then becomes familiar, or the newness wears off, or you move to a different area. You move to a, so we look at looking at new to old, because that's all we're used to. God looks at from old to new. So because this is the new creation, you need to get this part because there's a lot of churchgoers. There was a 73-year-old man in the first service that said this, Pastor, I finally got it. What you said today, I finally got. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So that's it, man. Like, I've been saved my whole life. I've been just waiting to go to heaven. I'm a new creature in Christ. And you're, you're going to be more new tomorrow. Ah, oh, you're right. And you're going to be more new the next day. Because, see, the newness in Christ, is that we had a little girl, nine and a half, a couple weeks ago, said, hey, I, I, want to give, I want to give my heart to the Lord. I want to get saved. It's like, well, let's, let's pray through. And then I said, now you got to go tell Miss Janie because you got to testify. I and mean, she, like, she lit up. She's a new creature. She's a new believer. She's new. But we've also had in this service in the last few months older people that have gotten saved as well. Okay, well, all right, so are, are they new creatures? Yes, they're both new creatures in Christ Jesus. They're both new, and if we do it right, we're new tomorrow. We're newer tomorrow. We're newer every day. See, we have to stop thinking of worldly standards. We have to start thinking of heavenly standards. I am, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I have to have a renewing of my mind. I have to have a renewing of... You've got a new identity in heaven. Revelation 2.17 says you're going to be given a stone with a new name on it. Everything in your life has become new. Well, yeah, what about the old habits? What about the old addictions? What about the old personality? What about those things I've, I've had to deal with? You keep telling yourself every day, I'm new today in Christ Jesus. And tomorrow, I'm new again in Christ Jesus. And the next day, I'm even newer in Christ Jesus. When you continue to walk as a newly created individual in Christ, that old person will start to fall away. We, we bring baggage with us when we become saved or we become a Christ follower, we bring things with us. It's not anybody's fault. It's not even our fault. This, this the past. It's, it's memories, good or bad. It's, it's habits, good or bad. It's, it's different things in our life, good or bad. We bring them with us. God wants us to become a new creature. This is a divine shift. Sometimes divine shifts are hard. When Janie and I had first gotten married, and we bought a 1972 Celica, it was a really cool little car, and it was a stick shift, manual transmission, and neither one of us knew how to drive uh, manual transmission. In fact, our two boys did the same thing, Andrew and Marcus, each bought cars, and uh, Drew, I've never known him to exaggerate or lie, and I said, 
we went to Rich, Richmond, Virginia to, buy, to pick this car up with him. And he said, yeah, I can drive a stick shift. And then when we got here, he said, I actually kind of learned on the way home. Five hours at night. And Emily throwing up because I think he was a little herky-jerky on the... <laughs> on, the, on the manual transmission. Uh, Janie learned it before I did. I, I had a hard time on hills. Uh, hills scared me. I don't know if you've ever driven or learned how to drive a manual transmission. When you hit to a hill, uh, your prayer life goes to another level. <laughs> oh, dear God, please let that red light turn green. God, oh, dear Jesus, please. No, I can't. Oh, God, please don't let there anybody. Oh, not somebody behind me, dear God. <laughs> And, 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 you know, if you have a prayer language, you start speaking in tongues. I mean, things just go crazy and they go to a whole nother level. It's like, oh, oh, God. Oh, oh, turn green. Oh, praise God. <laughs> but if you get stuck on that hill halfway, you know, it's, it's lights out. Uh, you, you know, you got it in first. You're trying to figure out the gas and the clutch at the same time. And all of a sudden, it dies. And now you're, the, you're embarrassed, right? It's like, oh, what am I going to do now? I mean, there's cars behind me. I can't roll backwards. You, you roll your window down you, and you wave, you wave the cars on until, until you got freedom behind you. Then you go, I would rather, when I was learning how to drive a stick shift, I'd rather push the car up the hill than try to drive it up the hill. I mean, it was, it was easier for me to do that. And, and, and we laugh about it now because then after a while, the, the, the manual transmission is a, is a piece of cake. And you, you kind of look forward to the hill. It's not a hill ain't bad. Yeah, I can stand. Watch me just rock it right here. No big deal. That's a divine shift spiritually. When we first walk through a divine shift, we don't like, oh, God, no, you're not. I mean, you, you don't want me to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. I got to hang on to some of this Egypt a little bit. I mean, I gotta, I gotta hang on a little bit to this, to this baggage that I'm, that you want to get rid of. He wants you to get rid of that baggage and have a divine ship to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, because He knows what's best for you, because He loves you so much, He cares for you. It's a, you are a new. Turn to somebody and say, "I'm a new creature in Christ." You are a new. Say it with conviction. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Listen, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take that away from you. Yeah, Pastor, I mean, I got a, I got a bad knee, and I don't have any hair, and I'm, you know, I don't sleep real good at night, and stop describing me, would you? I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that newness starts from the inside out. And that outside may not be recognized until I get that new glorified body. That's going to be amazing when we get them. But right now, God's working on my inside. When the enemy or someone else comes to you and say, hey, you're no good, you don't amount to anything, you say, that's not true. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Yes, maybe you knew the old person, but you don't know the new person at all. And you, can, you need to remind the enemy of that as well. Because the enemy will come to you and say, well, you, I, I saw what you did this week. That's right. So did Jesus. He covered with the blood because I told him I was, I was sorry. And I'm going to move forward because I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are newly created in Christ. Which leads us to point number three of the divine shift. And that's you need, you need to trade your sorrows. You need to get rid of those sorrows. When sorrows attach themselves to our life. They only need to be there but for a moment, okay? And it's okay to cry. It's okay, to, again, to be sad. It's okay to walk through those things. Let's, let's read out of uh, Psalms 84. Let's read verses 6 through 9, or 5 through 9. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways of Zion, which is a place called Beth, as they go through the valley of Baca, the only place in all of Scripture 
where this word is mentioned is baca. We'll get back to it in a second. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Think about that. They go from strength to strength. And by the way, the scripture says in Proverbs, we go from bright to bright. In Romans, we go from faith to faith. Here, we go from strength to strength. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. When you go in Christ, you go one step at a time. You're not going to go like miles a minute. You're going to walk a mountain. You're going to walk a valley, but you're going to do it one step at a time. Stop looking at other people who maybe are a little further of you because they've already walked that path. They've gone through their sorrows as well. They've gone through their trading sorrows as well. You have to know that they're there to help you, not neglect you, not look down at you, but they're there to help you. Just listen to what they're starting to say. Go from strength. Each one appears before God in Zion, a place called Beth. Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer, David says. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Selah means to stop, pause, think about it. It's a powerful word, word in Scripture. David writes this, Selah which again is our granddaughter's name. But stop, pause, think about it for a second. God's trying to get my attention. He's trying to give me a divine shift. He wants me to go somewhere in him. He wants me to walk in him. He wants me, he values me. He loves me. I'm a new creature. I just need to obey him. Now I need to trade my sorrows. Why? Because behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. Why? Because you're anointed. Now you got to work on trading your sorrows. Let's go back to that sixth verse there for a second. As they go through the valley of Bach, it means a valley of weeping. This is a, a place actually in Scripture where David would have fought in the Philistines and won. But David was always at odds with the Philistines, but he was also always the underdog. He never had the big enough army, never had the strong enough army, never had the best army. He just had a lot of guys who knew who they were in Christ. And David was a good leader, so he could lead him. In that, but he's walking through this valley. There are valleys in your life. There are moments weeping last before the night, but joy, what, comes in the morning. And you know this because we've talked about it before. Morning's not like the next day. Morning is my time of weeping. There is a time where you might weep. There is a time of sorrow. There is a time where you would say, okay, God, it's just me and you. I'm sorry I lost a loved one. I'm sorry I lost a relationship. I'm sorry I lost a job. I'm sorry things didn't work out. I'm sorry I failed you, God. I'm going to weep, but now I'm trading that sorrow for joy because Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And what does the enemy want to take from you? He wants to take that joy. He wants to take your strength. If you, if you knock on the house of the strong man and you don't deal with the strong man, you can't take the house. So the enemy knows that if you're walking in the joy of the Lord, there ain't a devil in hell he can send against you because your joy is not found in things. Your joy is found in Christ. Your joy is found in Christ. But pastor, I, I'm sick, or pastor, I lost my job, or pastor, my car won't start. I had a lady quit church one time, not this one, because her car got hit by a deer. I said, you're kidding me. Talked to her husband, yeah, she mad at God. Huh. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> huh. Can you counsel her? I don't know. I can't bring the deer back. She killed the deer. Car got totaled. How do you want me to counsel her? Joy. Just get your joy back. Well, uh, how do I get my joy back? You got to trade your sorrow. 
Whenever you ask the Lord, whenever you rebuke one thing, you got to fill it with another thing. In other words, if you rebuke sorrow, you got to ask for joy. If you rebuke hatred, you got to get love. If you re- rebuke fear, you got to get some faith. Whatever you leave out, whatever you move, you got to trade it for something. If you're going to trade your sorrows, you got to grab joy in that realm. If you can grab joy in that realm, come on back, worship team. If you can grab joy in that realm. See, the Matthew's gospel, the 26th chapter, says this. Jesus sweat and cried as if it were drops of blood. Now think about that. He said the cross was before him, and he knew he had to endure it. So because the cross was for him, before him, and he was crying in the garden, he said this, Lord, if there, Father, if there be any other way, if there be anything to do, please remove this cup, this cross from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, he's crying and he's bleeding as if it were blood, okay? He's sweating. He doesn't want to endure the cross. He's all God. He's all man. So he already knows ahead of time how much pain he's going to go through. But now the author of Hebrews says this about the same situation for the, in, in the 12th chapter, but for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross and its shame for you and for me. What, what, what shifted there? Jesus shifted from centering on sorrow to centering on joy. And if you're going to trade your sorrows for filling up with joy, then all of a sudden the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. That that weeping, yes, it may last for a night, but I'm not going to hang on to it for three nights or four nights or three months or three years. I'm going to say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorrowful or I don't like these things. I'm glad, I'm mad that they happen. But at the same time, they're not going to own me. Those sorrows aren't going to own me. I refuse that. I'm going to walk in the joy of the Lord. That's my strength. Stand with me this morning, every second. Church, get it. Get it for a second. There's a divine shift that takes place in our lives. First, it happens in obedience. Second, it happens as a new creature. But there's a lot of Christ followers that are walking around, and they're just, they're sad, or they're mad, or they're angry, or they're disappointed. It's like, you're going to heaven, man. You're, when your life is over, you're going to heaven. And well, I'm, that's why I'm praying for Jesus to come back because I want to go to heaven. No, stop it. Stop. And experience Christ in your life right now and show somebody what it's like to really be a Christ follower, full of joy, not based on circumstances or situations, but based on the fact that you love God. And yes, you've had a time of weeping. You've had, you've had the, the baka as a valley of weeping. You've had your season of weeping, but you're trading that. I asked the team to sing the song, Trading My Sorrows. I love this song. Daryl Evans, 25 or 30 years, and these guys do a killer job. But I, I want you, I want you, and I think we have some prayer partners in the house. Uh, uh, if you're on our prayer team, come up here for a second. If you, if you, need, if you need personal prayer, then I want you to have some of these guys pray with you. Maybe, maybe there's something in your life that you just can't seem to get through, all right? Let them pray with you. But, uh, but if you want to just get, get alone with God and find a place to worship, then just come up here and, and worship as well. Get prayer, get worship, trade those songs. This is a divine shift. And yes, it sounds simple and it sounds easy, but here's the deal. Like I was on that hill, you can either roll backwards or you can push through. Pushing through is on you. God's already set the table for you. You can walk in obedience, 
You can recognize you are a new creature each and every day and newer tomorrow if you're in Christ. And then you can trade those sorrows. But if you'll trade those sorrows, I promise you, when that joy of the Lord becomes your strength, it will be unstoppable. Let me pray with you, and then I'm going to ask you to come if you want. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, right now that we walk in obedience. That's a divine shift. Two, we, we know we're new creatures. That's a divine shift. And three, Father, Lord, we are going to trade our sorrows right now. Lord, over the next five or 10 or 15 minutes, we are trading those things in our life that make us sorrowful, and we are trading it for the joy of the Lord because we know that's our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. Come on if you need prayer. Come on if you want to worship. Let's give God some glory.
Father's church was on the north side of Omaha. And they knew how to have church. <laughs> and if, you know, you would say, hey, man, they would say, hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. It like broke into a whole other song, just saying, hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. How many have ever been in one of them churches? I love it. I love I love it because there's such freedom there. They're not bound by, we have to do it this way. And, you know, Drew over here, I'll tell you, he, like, gives me the look sometime when I get offbeat. And so I'm like, oh, okay. But this song is like one, two, three, four, one, two, three. I mean, it's like you can't get offbeat on that. He's trying to tell me I probably can't. So we're going to sing that just one more time. I want y'all just to have a little bit of freedom, just to have a little bit of, a little bit of shout. Come on.
to carry around with you in which represents God's presence and the miracles and the testimonies of things that he has done for you. I have so many in my life that if I had a box, I would put my daughter back there running. The sound should not be here. At seven months, they said, let's take her. We need to take her out. She's dead. She's pretty amazing. So I'm glad I didn't listen. There's just many, many of those things that would be in my box. But that's what was in God's box, was representing the presence of when he did miracles. And he's still today. So we want to shout for joy. Amen. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you that you are good. And Lord, we truly will today trade the sorrows that we walk in, the disappointments that we walk in. We're walking in joy. We're expecting. Lord, if your word says that you can do greater things today than you did back then, we're still counting on that. And Lord, that you are able to do exceedingly above and beyond anything we so, Lord, if there's dreams that are out there, dreams that nobody thinks can happen, but your Bible, your word says they can happen. If we can only believe, we choose to believe that today. And we ask, Lord, those dreams to, to come into fruition and we can see them happen according to your word. Bless each and every person. Be with us this week and guide us and teach us your, your ways to walk in joy. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.